Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're here. It's great to see all of you in this room. It's been great to walk by our uh, Bible classes and see full rooms on Sunday morning. So we're just feeling the energy and grateful for your presence when we gather to study God's Word, when we gather to worship. We're just really glad you're here, and we want to extend a welcome to you, especially if you're a first-time guest. And so uh, Aubrey and I really do want to meet you if we haven't met you yet, so please come and see us outside at the back, uh, at the back of the sanctuary when we're finished uh, in here today. Uh, I want to draw your attention, parents, to an email you might have gotten from Stacy for the parenting workshop that's coming up uh, in just a couple of weeks. And so I hope that you'll pay attention to that. I hope that you'll plan to be here. I'm really grateful for, for Stacy and all she does to equip our parents and our families and other staff that uh, work with her. So thankful for what she does here, and I hope that you will take advantage of this great opportunity uh, that she has, has given us. Listen, I know a lot of us have been watching uh, the news this weekend, and I'm like most church leaders, and I, I never know what to say and when to say, and in the past couple of years, there's been times when I have spoken and wish I hadn't, and times I didn't speak and wish that I had, and one strategy I've determined is that it's never a bad idea to pray when we face difficulties and we, and we hear about difficult things. So I don't want to offer any more comments, but I just want to pray for Memphis right now, if you'd join me. God, many of us have had our attention on the city of Memphis this weekend. Some of us are confused and some saddened, some angered, some of us are indignant. And we don't always know when to speak or be silent. We don't know when to be cautious or to be bold. But we turn to you, the God of justice and comfort, and we pour out our souls to you. We pray for the family of Tyree Nichols, and we pray for his grieving mother, Ravon. We pray for those who have watched the video of the violence done to him, and we pray for those who couldn't bring themselves to watch. We also pray for Chief Daniels and the other leaders of the Memphis Police Department as they seek answers and chart a path forward, and we pray for the citizens of that city. We pray for the leaders of churches in Memphis as they seek to lead their city in important ways. For all of us, we pray that our words would reflect the character and spirit of Jesus. And so when we need to speak boldly and prophetically, give us courage. When we need to be silent, give us restraint. And may your church be a force for good in the world. And may our words bring honor to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in the series uh, on the book of James. We're now in our fourth message from that. And in our first week, we listened to James tell us about trials, and we saw that they might not always be from God, but they can turn us to God. And the next week, we look at James' teaching on faith and works, and we said, if you say amen, you got to then say, I'm in, be willing to live out your beliefs. Last week, we looked at James' teaching on showing favoritism, and we said, you know, the other six days of the week and other areas of our life, uh, we might be treated based on how we present ourselves or our power or our possessions, but not here. God's people are different. So today, we turn our attention to James' teaching on the tongue. I'll tell you what, I, I suspect to a person, everyone in this room, has said things that they wish they hadn't said and has had times when they regretted speaking and has caused problems by the words that have come out of our mouth. And so we're going to listen to James tell us some warnings about that and then see what he might say uh, for some solutions for this problem of the tongue. Now, I will tell you that 
You know, James uses the tongue as the part of the anatomy to represent the, the words and thoughts that come out. I'm convinced that in our age, the, the, the fingers on the keyboards and the phones are just as apt of an anatomical reference for the trouble we cause, the source of the trouble we cause by what we say. Because a lot of the words that get out of us are not spoken, for better or worse, they're typed. And so as you hear James talk about the tongue, you might think also about our fingers on the keyboards uh, and the trouble that we can cause that way. So let's start uh, with the text, James chapter 3, just the first couple of verses. James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Let's stop right there after these couple of verses. You know, he addresses this to teachers. He says not, not many of us should become teachers. You know, different scholars wonder if that's really the heading for this whole section. Now, I'm convinced that what he says here and what we're going to talk about is for all of us. But it would make sense if James is warning teachers about the words they say. Because just mathematically, the more words a person says publicly, the higher the chances are that that person is going to make a mistake. So people who put their words out with frequency are at a higher risk of making mistakes with the words they say. But I think this is for all of us. And here's what else makes me think this is for all of us. The verse here that gives me hope is verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Right? I love that James doesn't say, you all stumble in many ways. We all stumble. He includes himself in that. And if nothing else, all all the convicting words we're going to look at in this chapter, I'm reminded that we all stumble in many ways. So if you've never made a mistake with something you've said, please come tell me. I suspect that will be no one. We've all stumbled. And one of the ways we stumble so frequently is with the words we say, isn't it? Let's keep going. Verses 3 through 8. James says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. James does not hold back there, does he? All kinds of animals Birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James doesn't have a lot of um, caution in how he speaks about the tongue, does he? A lot of strong images there that we want to take a few minutes to explore. So first of all, James 
uses this small to large uh, uh, method. These small things that have kind of a disproportionate amount of influence or impact on the larger whole. So he talks about bits in the mouth of a horse. And this small thing turns this large animal. Or a rudder that you don't always even see on a ship. And just a small movement changes the whole course. Or what about a small spark, often unnoticed, that sets a whole forest on fire? And in James's world, they would have resonated with this deadly fire image because they had, obviously, fewer means of putting out those fires than we did. So when you talk about a spark setting everything on fire, they knew exactly how deadly that could be. So with all of those things, the bits in the mouths of the horse, rudders on a ship, sparks in a forest, James then says, so is the tongue to the body. This small thing that we don't always even see on a person can change everything. Don't we know it? That part of us has caused so much trouble. The tongue is to the body. Uh, you may know of uh, a writer named Ben Sirah, the book of Sirach. It's not in uh, Protestant canon, but he is an ancient wisdom writer around the 2nd century B.C. in Jerusalem. So it's not part of our Bibles, but he writes a lot that sound, sounds like Proverbs, a lot of wisdom. And he says this, if you blow on a spark, it will glow. If you spit on it, it will be put out, and yet both come out of your mouth. I love that both because it's the fire image we've been talking about here. They, they understood the tongue and fire and the damage it could cause. He's using that same language. I also like how he reminds us that you, know, you can do two different things with the same mouth when there's fire in front of you. You can fan it and make it worse or you can put it out. You've got that much power with your mouth, with your tongue. So that's the first image, a small thing that can affect a large thing. The second thing he talks about are things that we have tamed. And he lists animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures, which, by the way, is roughly the reverse order of creation. It happens a lot in Scripture, and that seems to be on purpose. It's almost like James is saying, we've tamed all of creation, except this one thing, the tongue. We've managed to tame these large unwieldy animals that are dangerous, that are difficult, we have managed to tame them, but we still can't figure out how to tame the tongue. Isn't that frustrating? Isn't that frustrating that we can't get a hold of that? But I think all of us have recognized times when it almost felt like what we said was out of our control. Now, we don't want to actually believe that. I want to say I can take responsibility for all of my words. But sometimes it has felt like I wasn't even in control of what came out of my mouth. It was this wild animal that was just causing damage. feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Then I want to move to the last few verses. And uh, they've already been read for us, and I'm thankful for that. So we're not going to read all of 9 through 12. But in those verses, James talks about our, how our mouth can do two different things, right? So it can praise God and curse humans. And he talks about different sources and outputs, how 
fresh water and salt water can't come from the same spring, and one kind of plant can't bear another kind of fruit. And in the same way, a godly mouth shouldn't utter curses. And we're not talking about profanity only. We're talking about the way we speak to other people. They would have heard the word curse, not just as something mean that you say to someone, but really to label someone socially and label them condemned before God. Those would have gone together. And that's how they would have heard the word curse. You're really pronouncing a verdict on someone. And how can a mouth that is steeped in godliness utter such things? And James is saying it can't. So actually what I want us to do, James's questions are all rhetorical. And they are designed to be answered. So we're going to answer them together as a way of putting this. So the first question he asks Can a salt spring produce fresh water? No. Can a fig tree bear olives? No. Can a godly heart produce curses? No. So if it's coming out of our mouth, we've got to check the source, don't we? Jesus tells us these kinds of things. In Luke 6, Jesus says a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit. And a bad tree doesn't bear good fruit. And in Mark, he says that nothing outside a person can defile them by going in, but rather it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. So if you've got bad output, you've got to check the source. Because a godly heart is not going to speak in these ways James is warning us about. I think there are, there are a few ways that our words get us into trouble. There's some categories I think about here, and you may have more. James is talking about. One is when we act double-tongued. Double-tongued. I don't know if you paid attention in the past several years to some of the different White House correspondence dinners, but two different presidents had some fun with this. So President Bush had a person who stood next to him one year, and he would say the nice thing to say, and then this other person would say what he was really meaning. And President Obama did this too. You know, he was one of the things that people believed about him is that he always exuded calm, and they wondered why he wasn't angrier. And so he had his anger translator. So he would say the nice diplomatic calm thing, and then the other person would come in and say, you know, what he really thought. And we, we laugh at that because we understand that phenomenon of restraining our words. But it becomes a problem when we say one thing in one arena and we say another thing in another. Right? We say this one thing about a person over here and then we say a different thing to his or her face. Right? Or I'm in one setting of life and I speak one way and then when I get over here with these people I speak a different way. Jesus warns us about that in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about murder, and he says, you know, you've heard that if you murder, you're going to be subject to judgment. He says, I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And if you say to a brother or sister, raka, which means fool, you're answerable to the court. And in fact, if you say that, you're going to be in danger of the fire of hell. Notice he says, if you say that to a brother or sister. Now, I think there's broader lessons from this passage, but one thing I read here is Jesus is saying, hey, there's a certain way you talk to your brothers and sisters. And when you're double-tongued and you speak to them this different way, it's the same category as murder. Yikes. Don't be double-tongued. Our friend Ben Sira tells us, he says, curse the gossips 
and the double tongue, for they destroy the peace of many. Notice how he lumps gossips and double tongued together. That's what happens, right? We speak this one way, and then when we get away from that person, we talk, to, talk about them in a different way. One thing I've learned, and you've probably learned too, if a person will gossip about someone else to you, guess what? They'll gossip about you to someone else. So don't put up with that. Because if nothing else, they're probably doing it to you. We don't want to be double-tongued. We don't want to be people whose integrity is in question because we speak in different ways, depending on the setting or the people around us. We want to be consistent with our output. The second warning is against being quick-tongued. Proverbs 13.3 tells us that if we guard our lips, we'll preserve our lives. But if we speak rashly, we'll come to ruin. I wonder how much trouble we get ourselves in because we speak too quickly. Because we haven't learned to pause a beat, because we speak when we're angry or full of emotion, and almost immediately we regret it. You ever done that? I mean, you can just tell within 30 seconds, you know what? That was a bad idea. That's not going to help matters. James warns us against being quick-tongued. Just to speak, 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 and then figure out later if that was the right course of action. The third thing, and this is a, a theological term I just made up, bazooka-tongued. That's what I think. This is when we start saying, well, you know, I just tell it like it is. I'm not politically correct. Someone's got to say it. Uh, I've known people who have to preface almost everything they say with, well, now this is going to sound bad, but, or, you know, I don't mean for this to sound harsh, but... And I find myself thinking, you know, if you have to preface everything you say with that, maybe you should learn to speak a little uh, more gently. Bluntness is not a Christian virtue. Tact is okay. Kindness and grace in speech. There's a time to be very direct with what we need to say and not mince words, but you can still do that without being a jerk. Proverbs tells us the tongue has the power of life and death. When we bazooka tongue people, we just say it. I just say what's on my mind. The damage we cause is untold. We don't want to mince words so much that we, we never want to say the truth. But there's a way to speak with grace that doesn't just fire at everyone around us and cause a lot of damage. You probably have some other categories you might think of. But James is just warning us about the damage we can cause with our tongue. So I want to give you some next right steps. If, you, if you're convicted about the way your speech can sometimes cause harm, here's a few things I think we might do. Number one, we got to watch our inputs. right? Jesus tells us in Matthew that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So we've got to stop it at the source. What are we filling our hearts with? And I'm just convinced that online conversation is making it so much worse because all the incentive online is to be rude and harsh. So different bots who are, who are raising up uh, posts that are inflammatory, and then we get coaxed into that sort of grandstanding because there's more likes and clicks if we you know, just say something strong and take a stand that sometimes is irritating. That's what happens. We get rewarded. Instead of speaking gracefully and in healing ways, everything we do online rewards us for being rude. 
to watch the inputs you're receiving online. I'm sure we'll have more to say in the next year or so as, as we think about ways to, to exist online as Christians and where to engage and where not and what kind of inputs. But just if, if your inputs are constantly riling you up, you might think about your inputs then. Second, learn to write drafts. You might know of, of, of Harry Truman's rule, President Harry Truman's rule of writing letters that he was mad about and then sticking them in the drawer to see if he still felt like sending it the next day. And then at the end of his life, there was a drawer full of unsent letters. And I've read some of the ones he sent. I mean, one time a critic was harsh on his daughter in her uh, opera performance, I think, and he sent this guy a letter and it wasn't very gentle. So it makes me think, what was in the drawer that you didn't send? But the same thing, like if, you, if, if something's irritating you and you need to fire off something, go for it. Just a pro tip, get rid of the name and the two lines so that if you accidentally hit send, it doesn't go. And just leave it there, seriously. And come back to it, even an hour later, and think, is this still how I want to say this? I mean, it felt really good to type that out. But now that my, my heart rate has gone down a little bit, I wonder if this is still how I want to communicate this. The psalmist asked God to set a guard over his mouth and keep watch over the door of his lips. And once more, Ben Sira says, make a door and bolt for your mouth. Well, drafts are a good way to make a door and a bolt. Just lock it up, come back to it later. Third, and related to this, and I got this idea from a friend of mine, uh, Nathan, back in Oklahoma City. He, we were doing a lesson on this, and he said, maybe you need to find a way to use controlled burns. We're talking about fire. Because we got to sometimes have a space to get it out. Our frustration, something's happened, we're irritated about. What if I had safe, a safe group that I knew I could say this in, and it wasn't going to cause a fire somewhere else? Because it's not a good strategy just to stuff it and stuff it and stuff it, because it'll come out sideways. So James isn't saying, stuff it. And I'm not saying just stuff it down, but find safe ways to be able to express words that might cause a fire, but it's not. You've got a group of people that's kind of your controlled burn. And the final thing, we've talked about a lot of negative things from the tongue, but if we use James's concept that our words are powerful, think of the good you can do with your words. You might feel really small and really insignificant, but your words can be very powerful and have a huge positive impact. Right? Paul tells the Ephesian church not to let any evil talk come out of their mouths, but only what is good for building up. So the opposite of evil talk is not silence. The opposite of evil talk is talk that builds others up. So if you're convicted by James's message on the tongue, watch your inputs and write drafts, use controlled burns, and use your words to bless intentionally because they have great power for good. So may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to God. Let's stand and sing.